Welcome to a special edition of Civic, where we're bringing you audio from the latest press conference city officials have held about San Francisco's response to the coronavirus pandemic. We're bringing you the full audio of these announcements with only pauses and silence removed in the interest of time. This announcement was made on Monday, April 13th. You're listening to KSFP LP 102.5 FM, San Francisco. We are here to provide an update uh, on COVID-19, where we are as it relates to the public health challenges and other resources that could be made available to the people of San Francisco. Uh, First, I wanna start by really thanking everyone for complying this weekend. I know, especially with our religious community, uh, it was Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Passover, uh, the very, very holy uh, celebrations that typically take place involve bringing congregations together and families together. And I wanna thank you so much uh, for what you did to uh, host your services online, uh, to reach out to your congregations and comply with the stay at home order. It definitely was noticeable and it made a real difference. Uh, So thank you very much for working with us this past weekend and a special thank you to the Interfaith Council for your continuous leadership. Uh, And we know that there are still people who need help, they need support, they need guidance, they need prayers, and we hope that the work that you continue to do uh, will reach out to those communities that especially uh, need it the most. Uh, Today, we have uh, an update on the number of cases confirmed. We are now at 957 uh, cases to report. Uh, We have 93 people that are hospitalized, and unfortunately, uh, 15 people uh, have lost their lives due to COVID-19. And my heart goes out to the family members of those folks uh, who uh, we have sadly lost because of this. And The whole point of why we have implemented a stay-at-home order has everything to do with preventing as many um, uh, loss of life as possible. And as a reminder, uh, if you're interested in in seeing any of the data that we're able to provide, you can go to datasf.org slash COVID-19, where we have a tracker that is updated every single day. We also know that as this pandemic continues, uh, people are struggling. Uh, They are struggling to get the resources that they need. And and more importantly, uh, many people who typically depend on uh, various locations to access food um, are not getting access to that food. Whether it's people who are picking up food from a food pantry, the seniors that we feed at locations all over San Francisco, the kids that rely on the food that is served every single day um, at our schools. Unfortunately, because of this pandemic, access to food has been very challenging. And not to mention the people that have lost their jobs and don't qualify for the kinds of services that other families qualify for. And so we know that food security has been a real challenge, not just in the city, but all over the country. And so I wanna just uh, you know, express to the school district uh, appreciation uh, for the work that they have done to get locations identified all over San Francisco so that families have access 
uh, to meals and families are still picking up those meals from schools and recognizing that so many of the kids in our school system may not get access to food. Uh, we also know that one of the other challenges we face, although CalFresh is available to a significant portion of our low-income residents, uh, it's not necessarily always easily available uh, to people who may be just a little bit above the qualifications and also folks in our immigrant communities. Uh, there have been some changes to provide additional support in CalFresh, but in recognizing that there are people who will not qualify, again, including some of our low-income families and some of our families who are part of our immigrant population, we started a program called Give2SF, where we have been seeking to get private dollars uh, to help in these efforts. Uh, and we've also been able to identify resources through the city to provide funding so that we can support those families uh, that may not traditionally qualify for some of the state benefits that are provided. Um, we also, as a result, because we know there are a lot of different things. Uh, there are senior programs, there are some delivery programs, there are neighbors helping neighbors, uh, the food bank and the work that they have done to set up uh, pantries. And in fact, I visited a pantry in the Bayview Hunters Point community where so many volunteers who of course were practicing social distancing along with the people who were picking up the food, um, they were available, but there again are people who are not always able to pick up food. And so we have to think about um, how do we connect all of these resources uh, to the people that we know may not get access to those resources. Uh, and so we realized there was a real important need to centralize uh, how food is available to residents of San Francisco. And so we put together a system. You can find it on our website at sf.org. And there's a tracker where it can help you to identify where you can get access to food, whether it's food that you may need to be delivered or you can pick up. Uh, the fact is, we also realize not everyone has access to the internet, and if you have any questions and you need access to food, please call 311. And the people who are working um, at the call centers will be able to direct you to the appropriate resource based on what your need is. I mean, when you think about it, there are kids who are in our school system that need food and parents or grandparents may be a part of the vulnerable population and so they may not necessarily have the ability to pick up that food and making arrangements to have food delivered to those vulnerable populations those people who we are asking uh, to remain in their homes under all circumstances the need to provide deliveries and pickups and resources in general to our vulnerable population so that everyone is served is so critical to getting us through this process. So again, uh, we have a tracker at sf.gov, uh, sf.org, um, and the goal with that tracker is to provide the resources that people may need to access food. And this includes all residents of San Francisco. If you think for whatever reason you need help or you need support or you need food in any capacity, please call or uh, check the website online. I also want to, um, I want to thank uh, uh, the Off the Grid 
which has partnered with us in this effort to help with those deliveries because again, we have people who may be in our hotels who are in quarantine. We have those who we're asking to stay at home in quarantine, but not everyone has the means in order to access uh, food. And we wanna make sure uh, that that is not a barrier uh, to someone's ability to be able to survive through this pandemic, especially when so many people rely on, for example, Queen Ada, Kamochi, and other places where folks are going every single day uh, to get a meal because they may not have the facility in their home or they may not have the ability um, uh, to cook themselves because of a physical condition. Uh, so just being mindful that there are a lot of folks out there with these challenges and we want to be of service. Uh, so any questions, again, call 311. Uh, because there are a lot of great resources out there and we want to make sure we get folks connected to them. I also want to talk uh, about the challenges that we continue to face with our homeless population. And I really want to start by um, thanking Abigail Stewart-Kahn for all of the work that this department, along with the HOT team, the homeless outreach team, and folks who are working in our shelters, the people who are on the front line, working uh, with this population of folks in order to help keep them safe. Uh, but I will say that it continues to be a challenge. And although we have access to a number of hotel rooms and we have moved uh, hundreds of people out of the shelter system, including every person who was in MSC South, out of the shelter system, uh, there continue to be challenges. Uh, the bigger issue here is we have to make sure uh, that we have around the clock staffing uh, because this is like nothing we've ever experienced before. So we are not always able to get access to staffing as quickly as we can. Yes, every city and county of San Francisco employee is technically a disaster service worker. But what's also happening is when, they are, uh, when we reach out to them, um, there are some challenges that some of them may face. They may be a part of the vulnerable population themselves. They may have kids at home that need to be cared for, or in some instances, they may be fearful. Uh, they may be concerned about their own health if they decide to show up to work every single day in an environment where they think that possibly they could be exposed. So in any other time, like an earthquake or other situations where something isn't transmitted, like what we're seeing with COVID-19, it would be a lot easier to staff up these hotel rooms, to get people moved in, uh, to basically plug people in, to have the 24-hour support, meal delivery, cleaning service, uh, social service, and all the things that we need in order to manage uh, the hotel rooms that we are providing for our homeless population. Uh, but it has not been easy. It has not been easy uh, to provide adequate staff. Um, it's been very challenging. Uh, to get even some of the residents who are part of our shelter system and our hotels to comply with the orders to even wear masks. Um, so it's not as simple as what people would like to think. If I could open up every hotel room in this city and allow every single person to have a place to stay, knowing that will make a difference and keep everyone safe, it's not even a question whether or not we would do it. But the reality is, 
the problems that existed in this city with people who struggle with substance use disorder and who struggle with mental illness have not gone away because of this pandemic. In fact, it's been so much harder to really care for this population, especially when they won't comply with simple directions or orders that we're implementing. And we have no means in some cases to force them to comply because public health is in jeopardy. So I just ask for understanding. I ask for patience um, as we deal with this. And we know that sadly, sometimes leaders in our city put out information that's not entirely accurate. It's not as simple as we can do one thing versus another because ultimately, when you think about what we are trying to accomplish in San Francisco, we have the bus service, it's still running, but we also have a number of bus drivers that have tested positive for COVID-19. And therefore, the people who are showing up to drive Muni, they are fearful and they want to know that we are protecting them. We think about the police officers and the firefighters and the other folks who are trying to keep us safe. When firefighters answer a call, when our paramedics answer a call where someone's been physically injured, they're putting their lives on the line to help care for that person. And so there's a lot that goes into making sure that our workforce is protected, that when they call in sick, we have a substitute for them to take their place, uh, that we're able to ensure that they will be safe, that they have the appropriate training, because we have people who work for the city, for example, either in the Department of Elections or in another department. Now, they, as disaster service workers, are the ones working at these hotels with a population that they are not completely familiar with, doing jobs they never have done before, which requires training. And now, with social distancing, and now with this epidemic and what it is doing and, and the fear sometimes, uh, because of people and their health, it's so important that we train people, that we make sure that they have the PPE that they need, which is a whole nother conversation. But ultimately, we in the city, all the departments, all the people who are continuing to show up for work every single day and put their lives on the line, we are doing everything we can to implement the right policies that will keep people safe. We see what happened at MSC South with 70 people who were infected with the virus. And the sad reality is, you know, we have said from the very, very beginning, it is going to be very challenging to manage the congregate settings, places where there are single room occupancy hotels, where we have our shelter system, where we have our elderly patients like Laguna Honda, although they're doing a uh, okay job with the additional assistance we've gotten from the CDC and other uh, health professionals. But this is going to be challenging. And we want to be realistic with the public, not just about the systems we put in place, but also about the behavior of the population that we're trying to serve. It is not as simple as people would like to express that it is, but it doesn't mean that we aren't trying every single day that we don't have the tools and the resources to try and make sure that we are complying with the order ourselves and doing everything we can to protect public health and public safety. That is our number one goal. 
and every decision that we make is towards that goal. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, a couple of other items and uh, a few other departments will be up just shortly to go into more detail uh, on some of the things I've highlighted, um, including uh, some of the challenges we continue to face, but also some of the things that we've put into place, uh, including again, um, we have hotel rooms for a homeless population, but we also have uh, hotel rooms available to our workforce, uh, the healthcare professionals that are out there that may not wanna go home uh, because of their concern about their loved ones, public safety officials, including our muni drivers and other folks. Um, so we are setting up a system uh, for the most part that has been effectively serving people and we will continue to move in that direction. And as I said earlier, I was really grateful to uh, folks who um, complied with the order. Uh, in fact, um, in, in just really uh, walking around the city and, 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 and examining um, some of the things myself, I really gotta say that um, seeing people comply and also seeing uh, folks uh, out and about and socially distancing and being responsible and walking around folks just so that they're not getting close, uh, people are really getting the message. And we do still have some challenging areas, uh, but for the most part, uh, thank you to San Francisco for what you've done to help us get to a place uh, that continues to be a model for the rest of the country. Um, but I know that even though Easter Sunday was a challenge, uh, we have another uh, unsanctioned holiday coming up, uh, 420. And as many uh, folks in the former district that I represented in District 5 in the hate, uh, this has been really a challenge for us uh, for so many years. And, and, and last year, or maybe even the year before last, um, we finally got into a place where it was a lot more manageable. Uh, the fencing and, and the other things that we put into play uh, has made it, I guess, tolerable for the community. Uh, but I wanna be clear with people who come to San Francisco on 420, to Robin Williams Meadow, to celebrate 420, do not come to San Francisco on 420 to Robin Williams Meadows we will not allow this unsanctioned event to occur this year, uh, especially in the height of a pandemic. The area will be fenced off. There will be uh, police officers patrolling the area. Uh, we will cite and if necessary, arrest. Um, we will not tolerate anyone coming to San Francisco for 420 this year. We have absorbed the cost and we have worked with the community to provide uh, this, to allow this unsanctioned event to continue to occur despite a lot of the rules and regulations that are, you know, challenging to abide by when, for example, no smoking in a park, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, we have been very welcoming to people who have come here uh, but this year, we will, we will be very, very strict with our policies. Uh, we will not allow it. Uh, so we want to just take this moment uh, 
uh, to put this message out there that we will be prepared if people start to show up to make sure that it doesn't happen. The aerial will be completely fenced off. Um, there will be roadblocks and other things that will make it difficult to get in the area. Uh, and so I just want to say, um, for your own health and safety, please do not come. Please do not try and identify an, another location. It is not safe for us to gather in large groups of people, especially during a pandemic, because the consequences could be deadly. Maybe not for you directly, but maybe for your mother, your grandmother, or any other relative. So just keep that in mind if you're having any thoughts about potentially pushing for a gathering or a celebration, not just in San Francisco, but anywhere else throughout the Bay Area. Um, so I wanna take this opportunity to really thank uh, the police chief and to thank our city attorney for working with us uh, to pull this together. And we will continue all week to promote and make it clear uh, that this, along with any other large gathering in San Francisco, um, is not uh, possible at this time. And so please continue to comply with our order. All right, with that, um, you know, I know it feels like it's been a, been a long haul for each and every one of us, uh, but again, I can't thank the people of San Francisco enough, especially those who continue to comply with the order as difficult as it is, because I know it's difficult. And I know it's especially difficult for kids um, to not be able to hang out or see their friends. And yesterday when I was on the phone with a friend of mine, uh, they talked about how they finally got their internet set up and they were able to get access uh, to Zoom so that they can go online and their friend, they can basically talk to one another. And I, I just, you know, it, it just really changed that, that kid's attitude who happens to be a teenager and who was being a bit difficult and challenging already. But um, I just think that if there um, are, are really small ways in which we can support young people knowing that this is difficult for them, knowing that this, especially if you're a senior in high school, um, it's almost like a rites of passage with the graduation and the prom and the ring and everything else and getting ready to go to college. And so let's be mindful of just the challenges that so many of our young people are facing. And let's try to do more to be as supportive as we possibly can. Um, and with that, I, I just want to say uh, this has been hard. And we know that there are still a number of weeks that we will be experiencing this. And as time goes on, it's definitely gonna be harder and harder uh, to keep your spirits up, to not get frustrated, to want to do something different. Uh, and I just wanna remind everyone how critical this is. It is life or death. We are, we are doing okay, but again, as you can see, uh, especially with our shelters, the numbers can increase significantly and they can spread and this can be problematic overnight. People are talking about San Francisco because we shut down early, but ultimately that can all change if this thing gets completely out of control. And what you have done to make it possible to get us to this place has been really absolutely incredible. 
We applaud your efforts. We applaud your kindness and, the, and, and many of you who are out there doing things to support and uplift one another. Uh, we appreciate those folks who are taking the opportunity, just coming outside and clapping and supporting the healthcare workers uh, at a certain time as socially distancing. The extra things that you do while following the order to be kind and nice to one another is really what's gonna get us through all of this. Remember, we're all in this together. We all have to comply. Doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. Doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or, or not. The fact is, we all are experiencing this. We all are in the same boat. And so it's important that we remember that with our actions and how we treat one another as we deal uh, with something that I'm sure many of us have never seen in our lifetime. Uh, but as I continue to say, I'm hopeful that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm hopeful that we will get through this and we will look back um, on our time and just realize how incredible and how resilient this city truly is. Uh, so thank you all so much. Uh, and at this time, I'd like to ask Dr. Grant Colfax to come up and provide an update from the Department of Public Health. Thank you, Mayor Breed. Good afternoon, I'm Grant Colfax, Director of Health for the City and County of San Francisco. It's been about a month since we all began staying at home across the Bay Area to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. And now that we've been at it for a while, I wanna to start today off with some reflections. This past weekend was particularly difficult for many of us and challenging for the people of our city. Easter and Passover celebrations could not take place in normal ways. Frontline healthcare workers and first responders continued to care for people and address the concerns of an increasingly anxious community. More than 100 people experiencing homelessness were moved into hotels, which was a major undertaking for them and for the staff who supported them in this transition. Children remained out of school and family schedules continue to be disrupted in both large and small ways. We are truly in unique circumstances that we have never seen in our lifetimes. I acknowledge the stress and discomfort that we see as a community and are feeling across our families and our neighborhoods. We are social beings and it is difficult to be isolated. And it is hard for all of us to deal with uncertainty. But I assure you that the steps that you, we, all of us are taking are literally saving lives. Together, we are reducing the spread of the coronavirus in the community, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. I know that it is not easy and I am grateful for every San Franciscan for doing everything they can for the health and safety of our families and our community. When you stay home, when you wash your hands, when you resist unnecessary activity, and when you wear a facial covering, you are literally saving lives. As I have said from the start, we are most concerned about vulnerable populations at high risk for dying from coronavirus. 
This includes people in long-term care facilities, people who are 60 and over or have underlying health conditions. Congregate living situations are also at risk because of how easily it is for the virus to spread under these circumstances. We have been preparing for this, and we have seen it at Laguna Honda and MSC South Shelter, and we will see it in other places as well. Outbreaks like these were bound to happen. This is how coronavirus spreads. Our goal is to slow the spread down and to mitigate the bad outcomes that we see with this virus. As we reported last week, there was an outbreak of coronavirus at MSC South, the city's largest homeless shelter. A total of 182 people there have been tested with 91 positive test results and 91 negative test results. The testing included 57 staff with 10 testing positive and 47 testing negative. This is unfortunate, but again, this is what these, this is the scenario that we have been preparing for. We have done, and we will continue to do everything we can do to respond and protect health. This includes aggressive contact investigations, screening and testing people who are symptomatic, exposed, or otherwise at high risk for coronavirus, cleaning and heightened infection control practices across the city, assistance from state and federal advisors and from San Francisco's top infectious disease and public health experts. Working together with city partners, we have developed a portfolio of options so that we can respond quickly and with flexibility as the situation changes and challenges us. For example, over the weekend, the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and the Department of Public Health worked together to move all guests at MSC South into hotels, isolation, quarantine, or shelter-in-place sites, depending on guests' needs. This was a monumental effort, moving about 100 people, and I am grateful for all the staff across the city and our partners who accomplished it and all the shelter guests who participated. The next step will be to clean the shelter and prepare it to serve as a recovery center for people experiencing homelessness who have coronavirus. A recovery center is designated to be a supportive environment staffed by health workers and other support workers for COVID positive patients who do not need hospital care, but for whom a hotel is not appropriate due to their health or other conditions. I anticipate the possible need for more recovery centers as part of a portfolio of alternatives that include field care clinics and isolation and quarantine sites like the hotels. We are drawing on expertise of our healthcare professionals who serve high need patients such as settings, in such settings as medical respite and permanent supportive housing and on COVID-19 recovery models developed in other locales. At the same time, as we make these significant steps toward health and safety, I want to be clear. The population of people experiencing homelessness face many barriers to health and wellness in normal times, and this pandemic will only exploit 
and amplify those problems. Other cities, such as Boston, Los Angeles, and Seattle, are grappling with large numbers of cases of COVID-19 in homeless populations, and we expect to see the same. Unfortunately, not every person experiencing homelessness, just like not every person in our broader community, will be able or willing to follow the instructions that save lives. We know that there are behavioral health issues in particular that can make it difficult to abide by the rules. I think of patients that I have cared for in shelter and navigation centers across the city. And I think of Joe, not his real name, a man in his 60s, a heavy drinker, an opiate user, who needs eight beers a day to keep from going into withdrawal. I think of all the work we are doing at the Department of Public Health with our partners to keep people like Joe safe. And yet I know, due to multiple factors, people like Joe are not only particularly vulnerable to COVID-19, but may be, fully, may be unable to fully adhere to physical distancing and hotel protocols implemented to keep people as safe as possible. Again, adhering to medical advice for Joe was hard during normal times. Sometimes he would show up for his appointments, sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd come in, be able to listen and respond appropriately. Other times he came in drunk. These are not normal times. These are even harder times for Joe. And it will be even harder to get him to provide him with the care that he needs to keep himself safe. Uh, we are using harm reduction approaches and we have the best people on the front lines in our street medicine team. Incredible people like Dr. Barry Zevin, Kate Schutten, our nurse who oversees shelter health for the entire city. Incredible people like Deb Bourne, who has done so much for not only this epidemic, but taking the learnings from the HIV epidemic and applying it today to our response. People like Liz Imbert, Liz Imbert from UCSF, who was up all night Friday night at MSC South, helping people get into the hotel's rooms that they needed to keep themselves and others safe. These people are on the front line offering care and treatment, including drug treatment with buprenorphine, overdose prevention, and counseling for substance use and mental health disorders. We know that even during normal times, people will still refuse care or can't adhere to all of our care recommendations. These times are different. They are even harder to manage for people suffering from these disorders. Some vulnerable people will continue to take risk. And unfortunately, these people will be more likely to get sick, require hospitalization, and are more likely to die. We are doing all we can to mitigate the delay 
and delay, to mitigate and delay what is likely to be a surge of serious COVID-19 cases in this population. In addition to hoteling the most vulnerable and sick from shelters and navigation centers, our public health priorities include moving as many people as we can quickly and efficiently who are elderly or with chronic conditions into hotel rooms and other sites to monitor them for symptoms and to keep them from acquiring COVID-19 whenever possible. Our medical, behavioral health, and harm reduction outreach teams are experienced in offering supplies and support in the field. Outreach teams continue to go where people are to provide information, resources, and support. We are there every day. We are working lockstep with our partners at HSA and HSH to ensure our efforts are optimized and we are addressing the needs of as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Now, I would like to update San Franciscans on the data. Today's data show there are 957 San Francisco residents with confirmed cases of coronavirus. And unfortunately, I expect to see our numbers in San Francisco climb to above 1,000 soon. Today's numbers are significantly higher than Friday, and this is in a large part due to the large numbers of testing that we have done in the homeless community and the positive cases we have found. We are up to nearly 8,000 tests across the city. Sadly, 15 San Franciscans to date have died from COVID-19 related illness. And again, I send my condolences to their families, loved ones, and friends. There are currently 93 patients with coronavirus hospitalized across the city, and about 30% of them are in the intensive care unit. Our hospitalization numbers have been holding relatively steady for the past few days, which is welcome news and a success. But this success could change rapidly at any time, especially as we see expected outbreaks in vulnerable populations. In order to give a fuller picture of the impact on hospitals, we have added some new elements to our data tracker. Starting today, we have included new data about hospitalizations and hospital capacity. On the tracker, you can, see, you can now see hospitalized patients who may have COVID-19 and are awaiting test results. This allows us to have a more complete picture of the potential spread of the virus and the amount of people impacted and how our hospital systems are being impacted on a daily basis. On Saturday, in addition to the 93 patients with confirmed coronavirus in hospitals, there were also 44 hospital patients who were awaiting test results. These numbers will be updated on a regular basis on the data tracker. We are also sharing new data that helps us better understand the availability of San Francisco hospital beds for patients with COVID-19. We regularly monitor this information as it indicates our system's ability to care for an expected surge. On Saturday, we had a total of 1,229 acute care beds and 441 
ICU beds available to meet the demands of a surge. So, as you can tell, at this time, our San Francisco hospital systems have enough beds to care for all current coronavirus patients and people who may have coronavirus, as well as patients who are hospitalized for other reasons. We will continue to make progress expanding hospital bed capacity for an expected surge. Now, I would like to provide a brief update on the outbreak at Laguna Hana Hospital and the steps we are taking to protect the health of residents and staff. We continue to have 17 confirmed cases of coronavirus. That number has remained the same since April 7th, which was the last time we had a new case confirmed. 13 of the confirmed cases are among staff and four are among residents. Of the staff, 10 have been in patient care positions and three have not. All four positive resident cases are in the South Five neighborhood. Overall, to date, 303 Laguna Honda hospital staff have been tested either by DPH or their own provider and 215 residents have been tested. As part of our ongoing outbreak response, we continue to test staff and patients throughout the hospital that have been identified as being exposed through contact investigation or have other risk factors like showing symptoms of the virus. While I do expect more positive cases, we continue to take actions informed by facts and evidence to protect health and mitigate the further spread of the virus at the facility, both among staff and among residents. I am thankful that Laguna Honda continues to receive support from CDC Centers for Disease Control experts who remain on site and continue to help advise and guide our efforts. These recommendations are also informing efforts to be applied to protect staff and residents at other nursing home facilities across the city. As we continue to fight the corona pan coronavirus pandemic together, I would like to remind you that our type priorities continue to be reducing the spread of the virus in the community, protecting vulnerable populations, healthcare workers, and first responders, preparing our system for an expected surge in hospital patients, and expanding testing capabilities. In all of this work, we must continue to follow science, data, and facts. We seek to continually do better as we incorporate these, this information into our actions and recommendations. We are working quickly to integrate new information all the time and adjust our recommendations accordingly so that we are providing the very best, most up-to-date advice to you, the public, that we can. Thank you. Next up will be uh, Director Abigail Stewart-Kahn, uh, the Director of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to provide an update. Thank you, Dr. Colfax and Mayor Breed for your leadership during this crisis. The city and our nonprofit partners are battling two simultaneous public health emergencies, the ongoing crisis of homelessness and all of its complexity and the compounding issue of the COVID pandemic. 
we know that everyone's health is intertwined. And when people do not have homes to reside in, it is, made, it is more challenging for them to take care of themselves. And for some, as the mayor noted and Dr. Colfax talked about Joe, their lives are complex and that makes it harder, even harder for them to accept help. As a clinical social worker, we all know people like Joe and myself and all of my colleagues have dedicated our lives to their care and their empowerment. We know they need to say yes before help can come. Today, I wanted to provide an update on MSC South, which Dr. Colfax already touched on. Division, Circle, and Hamilton Shelter, our progress towards shelter thinning, and some information on our hotels, which Director Rohr will share more information on after me. As Dr. Colfax noted, we, through a heroic efforts of the Department of Public Health and our own organization, have moved everybody out of MSC South. It is in the process of being cleaned and repurposed for future need. This was a massive, massive task. Scott Walton from, the, from, the, from our department and St. Vincent de Paul, our long-term steadfast partner, worked through the night with the Department of Public Health and all of our colleagues working at hotels to receive individuals from MSC South. We have two other positives, which we've already provided updates on at press conferences, but I wanna provide a continuing update here. As you know, Division Circle was our first site that had a positive COVID test. That is a navigation center. That remains with one positive test. Vulnerable individuals have been moved off site and were already in the process when that positive test occurred. All steps towards shelter thinning and distancing, allowing for physical distancing, even inside a congregate setting, have been completed in that site. Hamilton Shelter, which, which houses families, mostly in one room per family shelter, had one positive test. That family was already off site and vulnerable individuals are moving off site. Hamilton Families, a longtime provider of family care in our city, had gone above and beyond, just like St. Vincent de Paul, to implement guidance from our department and the Department of Public Health long before these positive cases occurred. And they've gone even further since positives have been reported. At a system level, we have been working tirelessly to create what is called shelter thinning or shelter equilibrium. And I'll explain the terms. Shelter thinning allows us to reach that physical distance even in shelter. Shelters are, are dense places, places that we know people should not reside for long periods of time, but they do. Equilibrium to me means that the vulnerable individuals have been moved out as part of that thinning so that we know that they can be taken care of in hotel rooms. As of yesterday, 700, approximately 750 people experiencing homelessness are in isolation, quarantine, and shelter-in-place hotels across our city. This is a massive, massive task and accomplishment. As the mayor noted, we cannot simply open the doors of hotel rooms and invite people in. Where that is happening, we have care. We have to, um, we have to 
care for every single step in the process, and I'll talk about that next. In order to accomplish full shelter equilibrium with the vulnerable populations moving out, we estimate we have somewhere between 100 and 200 more who are in motion today. This will allow us to know that the vulnerable individuals who have accepted our offer of a hotel room have moved from those rooms. Not all are accepting. It is scary to move into an isolation, quarantine, or shelter-in-place room for some individuals with complex lives. For Joe, it is a near impossibility without significant care and help. Those are all the things that our system of care is, is standing up now. We will keep working. We will keep working to support people like Joe and the clients we all dedicated our lives to serving. Director Rohr will shortly provide an update on the big picture on where we are on hotel rooms. But I wanted to provide some additional context on what it takes to open a single hotel and move vulnerable or non-vulnerable individuals in. Securing leases is only the first step and is managed by HSA at great speed. There are several additional factors that must come together, including staffing. We have to conduct wellness checks multiple times a day. We have to enforce social distancing and shelter in place orders without significant legal recourse because we don't want to cite people at these locations. We must deliver three meals a day. We must manage crisis. Our staff and partners manage crisis every day in all of our places, and they manage it beautifully without significant incident. When people are picked up and moved away from their environments, we expect that that crisis will only become exacerbated. We have to plan for that with our staffing, and yet the staff we are asking to do this, many of whom have never done this before. And we wanna thank the disaster service workers, the nonprofit partners, the HSH staff, and all of our partners, from security to the sheriffs, to the police, to everyone who is turning up at these hotels around the clock to make this possible. With our partners at HSA, we have to conduct screening for ability to self-care. And when someone is not able to self-care, we have to put additional staffing in place beyond wellness checks and feeding. We need to work on transportation and we wanna thank our colleagues at EMS, private ambulances and MTA who are making this possible. But if you think about physical distancing in a bus, you can imagine how many buses it takes to move 750 people over the course of just a few days. This is a slow process. We are also working hard on harm reduction in each of these locations to ensure that people have their needs met and they can stay where they are. And, we, and then we begin to focus on discharge planning and reinstatement to shelter. These are just some of the steps required to stand up hotels. And we are working tirelessly to open more in the coming days. Director Rohr, is the director of the Human Services Agency, and he will speak now. Thank you. Good afternoon. Trent Rohr, director of the Human Services Agency. Thank you, Mayor Breed. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. Thank you, Director Stuart Kahn. What I wanna to do today is update everyone on the status of our hotel, um, securing hotels and our activation and deployment, and give you some data on the numbers we have uh, both secured and um, under contract, as well as individuals who are in the rooms. I know I'm gonna repeat myself from last 
press conferences, but there might be individuals from the press who are new. So I want to start with a high level overview. Uh, one important part of the Human Services Agency's role in citywide disaster planning includes mass care and shelter for our most vulnerable residents. We continue to follow the latest guidance from local and national public health experts to help minimize coronavirus exposure for those who do not have adequate housing to safely shelter in place and quarantine, and also to ensure that there are enough hospital beds available in San Francisco to treat patients with COVID-19. To this end, we started uh, on March 9th when we activated our operations center. We began securing housing for persons who have tested positive for COVID-19 or who are considered a person under investigation, meaning they've been tested and they're unable to, unable to safely self-quarantine or isolate due to their homeless status or a living situation such as being in a single room occupancy hotel. In addition, we're securing housing for sheltered people who are experiencing homelessness, either to reduce the capacity in our shelters, or more importantly, if they're over age 60 or vulnerable, moving them from a congregate environment into hotels. In addition, we're securing hotels for our unsheltered homeless who, who are 60 and older or who have underlying health conditions. And then lastly, our frontline city workers who are vital, of course, to our ability to handle the pandemic. And we're securing rooms to limit their exposure to the COVID-19 virus, as well as to prevent them from exposing their family members. Our current plan is based on, upon the most recent guidance from federal and state authorities and city partners, both with public health and the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And our goal, based on the populations I noted above, is to secure over 7,000 hotel rooms. Thanks to the leadership of Mayor Breed, and I've mentioned this before, we recognized very early on the need for rooms. We met with the Hotel Council. We released a request to get bids from hotels, received an overwhelming response, dozens and dozens of hotels totaling over 11,000 rooms. As of today, we have secured 2,082 rooms. These are currently under contract, and they're at 13 different hotel locations. We will continue to negotiate leases, identify sites and assess them and bring hotel rooms online on a rolling basis to continue to meet the needs of the population I noted earlier. Our number one priority is to ensure that hotel operations um, are equipped to handle individuals and provide the resources with their, and services they need to shelter safely in place. And this is not a small undertaking. We need to provide people with everything they need to stay put, to stay safe, and we need to face these challenges head on. Every hotel facility requires a unique plan and an individual negotiation with hotel management to provide the necessary security, support staffing, hotel operations staff, staffing, clinicians and case managers, cleaning and cleaning supplies and meals. Also at each hotel, we need to set up secure IT infrastructure because we're transmitting uh, confidential medical information about patients. I really wanna thank the tremendous efforts of our city's disaster service workers for their actions, their coordination, and their stepping up out of their traditional roles to help us. But make no mistake, this is a massive deployment of personnel. We anticipate needing as many as 600 
hotel site monitors from city staff working 24 seven, three different shifts from, from again, city staff, as well as our community based provider agencies. And this is in addition to the people we need to bring on board to help make sure people that we place in these hotels are safe and have their needs met. This in includes case managers, clinicians, harm reduction experts, all on hand with vital safety measures such as overdose protections. The system that we have in place now and that will continue to grow is working. Hotels that we've secured by the city to ensure that people exposed to COVID-19 do not need to be hospitalized, have safe places for medical respite, and we're saving our critical hospital beds, as Dr. Colfax noted, saving our critical hospital beds for those most in need. When people experiencing homelessness need a safe place to go after recovering or being exposed to COVID-19, our hotels are meeting their needs. When vulnerable adults need to move from shelter or congregate settings into hotels, we're meeting their needs, as Director Stuart Khan noted. The most recent example, when we faced an outbreak of positive cases at our largest city-funded shelter, we had hotel rooms available to place them and isolate them as quickly as we could. No one is being discharged from the hospitals to create space for others. People are being transported from the hospitals to safe spaces, not to the streets. Now for a recap on the data. I mentioned earlier, we have under contract 2,082 hotel rooms across 13 hotels. Two sites are for our first responders, totaling 880 rooms. The rest of the rooms, 1,202, are for the vulnerable populations I noted above, the vast majority of them being homeless individuals from homeless shelters or discharged from hospitals. Of those 1,202 rooms we have under contract, 751 of them are currently filled. 447 of that number are directly from our shelter system. I'll be on hand to answer questions after this. And at this point, I'll be turning it over to Chief Scott, uh, San Francisco's police chief. Thank you. We need to interrupt briefly to let you know you're listening to KSFP LP 102.5 FM San Francisco. This is a special edition of Civic, bringing you full audio from the latest press announcement city officials made on Monday, April 13th. Good afternoon, everyone. First, I want to thank again our mayor, Mayor Breed, for her outstanding leadership during this pandemic. As we work to all flatten the curve and stop the spread of COVID-19, it's important that we hold each other accountable. From the beginning of this pandemic, I've talked about our first and foremost job was to educate the public rather than go straight to enforcement. And I think we've done and continue to do a good job of that. I've also made it clear that we will not hesitate to move swiftly against those who knowingly flaunt the public health order in order to hold these people accountable. It should be abundantly clear to everyone by now that this is a matter of life and death. And we're seeing for the majority of people really good compliance in our city. Unfortunately, there are a few people who continue to act in the careless disregard for the health and safety of both themselves and others. So it is in this context that over the weekend in collaboration with the San Francisco City Attorney's Office that we were able to shut down an illegally operating underground nightclub 
on Shafter Avenue in our city's Bayview District. We were able to make this, uh, actually to shut this illegal club down following an investigation that was initiated by the city attorney's office. And after the city attorney's office secured a civil abatement warrant that allowed us to shut down the business. Just to give a little details, our, on Friday night, we were alerted that this club was intending to open Friday night. And what we have learned is that it has been opening in the wee hours of the morning in the weeks after the social distancing and stay at home order was put in place. We posted officers at this location on Friday and lo and behold, would be party goers started to show up. They were turned around at the door and this business was not able to operate on Friday night. So we effectively shut it down on Friday night. On Saturday, our officers from our Bayview station and our tactical unit officers armed with a civil search warrant, executed that warrant and seized the following materials from this location. DJ equipment, fog machines, nine gambling machines with approximately $670 in cash inside of those gambling machines, two pool tables, cases of liquor, and other items that indicated evidence of an illegal nightclub. There were individuals detained and those individuals are still under investigation in terms of us getting to the bottom of who's actually operating this club. As a reminder, under the public health order issued in March, on March 16th, bars and nightclubs are not allowed to operate in the city and county of San Francisco, nor are they allowed to operate in the state of California. This illegal club has been operating out of an industrial business. And we're told that it lacked proper sprinklers, fire alarms, and exits for a building that is open to the public for the purposes of nightclubs. None of these things existed. Evidence gathered during this uh, city attorney's investigation has shown previous incidents of dozens of people entering and exiting the building during the early morning hours with loud music being played and security guards posted out front, frisking entrance as they entered this illegal nightclub. We're also investigating an instance in which shots were fired in the vicinity of the location a few weeks ago. And we are determining or attempting to determine whether that activity is connected to this club. This activity indicates a willful and reckless disregard of the health order. And for those who are operating this illegal club, they need to be held accountable. All the people that have entered this club prior to us shutting it down have put themselves and others that they come in contact at risk. And that is simply unacceptable. The investigation to this activity is ongoing and may result in possible civil sanctions and or criminal sanctions. And that is yet to be determined. Just to recap where we are so far, the illegal and dangerous operation has been shut down. All the property inside has been seized. The landlord has moved to evict, evict the tenant, according to our city attorney's office. And we hope that this is a lesson to anybody that plans to do this type of activity while we're trying to save people's lives by social distancing and shutting these type of businesses down. 
Again, we believe that the majority of people in our city are complying with the health order and we're seeing that with their own eyes. However, there are a few who must be held accountable for their disregard to the health and safety of themselves and others. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about this past weekend. As has been said by a mayor, this weekend we had some challenges with people out, really just trying to enjoy the Easter holiday and enjoy the weather. And for the most part, um, we saw more people in our parks, saw more people out trying to get exercise and fresh air. We anticipated this and the San Francisco Police Department along with our Wrecking Parks and our park rangers were deployed at several parks around the city where we thought that we'd see an increase in activity. Um, our cadets were teamed up with officers and worked in conjunction with our park rangers and we actually were able to spread the message and education. There were 67 warnings given, given over the, on Sunday, just Sunday alone in our parks. And I'd like to say, by and large, after warnings are given, people comply. And that is what we are after. We're after compliance and we're after, in the bigger context, of people separating and staying six feet apart. So how we get there is really not important. What's more important is that we get compliance. We know how difficult that this pandemic is on the public and we know how difficult it is on all of us, but we ask for the public to stay the course. We need your compliance. And the best case scenario is if that compliance is voluntary. In terms of enforcement, there's two additional citations uh, since our last press conference that I'd like to inform you about. And they were both of businesses. One was a salon that was cited. It's a non-essential business that um, was operating and we closed it down and we cited the management slash owners. Another was a liquor store that was open after the hours of 8 p.m. And this store had been warned already. And as I have said over and over again, we're not gonna warn you more than once, particularly if you're a business doing operations. That's a bigger risk and a bigger exposure. And it's much different than people just going out trying to get air and get out of the house. So we're not gonna warn you Twice. So this business had been warned, we had to go back and they were cited. As far as crime, um, this past week or this week over the week prior, violent crime was flat. There was a 0% change in violent crime. Our property crime, there was a 29% decrease over the past week, which equates to 130 fewer crimes. Overall, part one crime, there was a 25% decrease in overall serious crime, which represents 130 fewer crimes. Again, we know that all crimes are not reported. We encourage the public to continue to report crimes as they occur, particularly violent crimes. We talked about our text 911 for those, particularly those people who might be suffering domestic violence and can't get to the phone to make a call. You can text 911 as well, and we encourage you to do so. Um, as stated, if you need to report a crime and it's a nonviolent or non-emergency situation, please call 415-553-0123. And again, you can call 311 to utilize uh, our 301 services or the San Francisco Police Department website, and we can take reports that way as well. Again, I'd like to close by thanking our mayor and the city leadership 
for getting us through this pandemic. And we ask that you comply. And just one more thing before I close, I wanna reemphasize uh, what Mayor Bree said about 420. We are working with all the city agencies and we will be there in full force to make sure that we don't have gatherings of people on April 20th who are trying to celebrate 420. Um, we encourage you to Zoom or whatever conference, teleconferences that you use to do this in the privacy of your own homes, but please do not come to San Francisco and gather to celebrate 420. Do it responsibly if you're gonna do it at all, do it safely and do it in a manner that's consistent with the public health orders of our state and our city. Thank you. Chief God, if you can stay real quick, we'll just ask the first questions for you. With the warmer weather, we've been hearing complaints of more people in San Francisco not doing enough social distancing. Question from Maureen Kelly at Cron4. Has SFPD noticed an increase in citations issued and can you discuss the circumstances? Well, what we've noticed, particularly this weekend, um, was there were a lot of people out and by and large, most people were doing what they have been asked to do. What's difficult with this is, and I've been out there almost every day making my own observations. When you have two or three people walking down the street and you don't know whether they're in the same household or not, many of our officers are engaging and trying to determine that. If you have a large gathering at a park, that's a different story. You know, pe people playing team sports and that type of thing. We are, when we see that, we're warning. And by and large, when we warn, people comply. And again, as I said earlier, the spirit and the intent of this is to get people to comply. So we don't have these issues to begin with. By and large, that's happening. For those individuals, particularly the businesses like the ones I just mentioned, um, we warn, if we have to come back, we're gonna cite. And we did that over the weekend and we'll continue to do that. But that would be nightclub that I talked about, that's just simply unacceptable. So luckily um, some uh, person actually alerted the city attorney's office to that and the investigation proved true and we were able to shut that down. But you know, there's different situations for different occasions, but the bottom line is we're trying to get to compliance and that will be a combination of warnings, sites when, when reasonable and when uh, appropriate and um, continuing to engage and educate the public as much as we can. Okay, the next questions are for Mayor Breed. Madam Mayor, this question is from Mel Melanie Woodrow, KGO. Does the moratorium on evictions apply to commercial businesses that are on a month-to-month -month lease? Yes, it applies to all evictions that are on a month-to-month -month lease. For more information or if you're a business and you're experiencing any challenges with your landlord, please reach out to us at oewd.org or call 311 to be directed to the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Thank you, Mayor Reed. Those are your questions. The next questions are for Dr. Grant Colfax, Public Health. Okay, uh, the follow-up is, Okay, so um, I apologize. The, the next questions are for Dr. Grant Colfax. Okay, Dr. Colfax, this question is from Luz Pena, ABC7. The Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation predicts a peak resource use will be on April 13th in California. Is San Francisco ready for this potential peak? Today is April 13th, right? Correct. So um, as I, as I uh, talked about in my remarks, if you go to our data tracker, um, we are currently able to manage the, uh, the burden of COVID-19 patients in our hospital system. 
I think it's very important, though, to realize that uh, we may not be near our peak. And as I talked about in the remarks, we're particularly concerned about uh, increasing numbers of hospitalizations um, in our vulnerable populations. So um, we are continuing to work to prepare for a surge. And we are also looking, we are also looking at other models that suggest a surge could happen much later. Okay, next question is from Mike London, Fox News. LA County's Dr. Ghali says that by this summer, 30% of the population there will be there will be infected. At what point does the value in delaying the inevitable, the peak, get outweighed by the economic devastation we're seeing now? Especially with hospitals in wide swaths of the state with underutilized or empty beds. Well, look, our focus is really on public health right now and ensuring that we slow the spread of the coronavirus particularly so that it, it delays the spread into the vulnerable populations um, who are most likely to have bad outcomes and die from the virus. So I think you know, it's been, it's been uh, just uh, over a month since uh, we have been engaging in these shelter-in-place orders. Um, those will go um, through May 3rd at this time. We're continuing to follow the data, science, and facts. And I think if you look at the experience in other countries um, and you look at the evidence that if these sorts of orders are lifted too early, you basically rebound and can start back, uh, or you, you can rebound and things can get very bad very quickly. So right now with regard to shelter in place orders, we need to stay the course. Follow-up question, do you see shelter orders being relaxed or opened up for at least the relatively young and healthy who seem to be coping well with the virus? As I have stated in the prior um, answer, we need to stay our course at this time. The data that we have show that uh, our curve in the, on the number of hospitalizations is thankfully relatively flat. That number um, will likely increase in the coming uh, weeks and possibly months. We need to stay our course. Okay, next question is from Dan Simon, CNN. Please clarify the status of MSC. Exactly how many have, how many have tested positive and where are the people now? So as I um, stated in my remarks, uh, we have tested 182 people in the shelter, uh, 91 people tested uh, positive, MSC South is closed, and uh, the residents, the guests have been moved uh, to hotels um, where they are being monitored by uh, support staff and healthcare workers. Follow-up question: When will the medical center be open, and who will take who will take it? Who will it take? So um, we are in a rapidly evolving situation and looking um, to determine as we grow our surge capacity um, what the role for MSC South will be. The current plan is it for is for it to be a a medical recovery center for people living with COVID-19. I don't have a timeline um, to share with you at this time. Okay, next questions are from uh, Vivian Ho at The Guardian. Why won't the city track and publish data on the housing status of positive cases? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question, please? Why won't the city track and publish data on the housing status of positive cases? So um, I very much, uh, uh, want to be able to uh, provide those data. Um, here's the situation though. Um, our testing uh, uh, information when a test is done um, does not require people, uh, organizations, companies who are doing the testing to, re to, to report housing status. 
Um, so when a test result comes in, um, we do not necessarily know that the test result is from a person who is experiencing homelessness. Uh, generally, we know the age. Um, sometimes we know the race and ethnicity, although you can see on the data tracker um, at our website that some of those data are missing. Um, so we are working very hard to get a comprehensive perspective on uh, how many people uh, experiencing homelessness have tested uh, with positive for COVID-19. We are uh, using our data, system, data teams at the health department to adapt our HIV data system tracking, which has the number of people experiencing homelessness living with HIV. We're looking to adapt that to be able to uh, more fully monitor the impact of COVID-19 on, on the uh, homeless population. I, do, I will say that uh, currently within our Zuckerberg San Francisco Hospital, um, the safety net hospital for the city, um, we uh, have, uh, which, which takes care of a large number of, of people experiencing homelessness. Of our hospitalized patients, approximately 20% of those hospitalized with COVID-19 are, are people who uh, report being homeless. Okay, and the follow-up is, this, does the city know how many unhoused individuals, not just shelter residents, but all unhoused individuals have tested positive? So as I, as I um, said, I have the numbers for Zuckerberg San Francisco General, and um, we shared the numbers about the numbers testing positive at MSC South, um, and we have had other cases in other shelters and navigation centers, as uh, uh, Director uh, Stuart Khan uh, mentioned as well. Um, and we are moving towards a system, and I hope to be able to share more comprehensive data sometime soon. Okay, next question is from Alejandro Serrano, SF Chronicle. Does San Francisco track COVID-19 cases by neighborhood? If so, why hasn't it released the data to the public? So we are working on analyzing um, the, the, the COVID positive data, um, testing data by neighborhood, and we hope to be able to release that information very soon. Okay, next question is for Trisha Fadani, SF Chronicle. How many SROs have been inspected and cited in accordance with the March 10 health order regarding cleaning? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Sure. How many SROs have been inspected and cited in accordance with the March 10th health order regarding cleaning? So um, there are uh, 504 SROs uh, throughout the city um, and pursuant of the health order, um, we've inspected to date 494 of those. Um, and there have been 284 violations uh, reported and those are being uh, corrected and abated as we speak. Okay, next question follow-up is, how many of the 32 people in SROs who have tested positive for COVID-19 have been quarantined? So we work to ensure that people um, who test positive or people under investigation have adequate uh, resources to quarantine um, and isolate uh, per public health recommendations. If they do not, um, we support them and their families in transitioning to a, an alternative, um, which could potentially be a hotel room or another alternative for that individual so that they are safe in quarantine or isolation. Okay, next question is from Dan Kerman, Cron4. How many total have been tested and how many more need to be tested in connection with MSC South? So again, um, we offer testing to um, all residents of MSC South. Um, and the 182 uh, people have been tested, including uh, residents and staff. Uh, we are conducting uh, uh, contact tracing and uh, depending on the exposure of people through that contact tracing, those people will, will be potentially tested as well. 
okay, what about calls to test all those in shelters? Is that impossible? Is that impossible because of lack of testing equipment? So we are testing based on aggressive contact investigations um, and also based on symptoms. Um, and we are testing based on those contact investigations. We're testing people um, who've had close contact with someone who's known COVID positive, those showing symptoms and uh, those most at risk. And we continue to be faced with a lack of testing supplies. I just want to emphasize that this testing supply issue is not uh, uh, only in San Francisco. It's across the Bay Area. It's across the state, as I think everybody has read in the news. Um, it's across the nation. Uh, due to the lack of a centralized system by which we have clear understanding of what supplies will be uh, available and when, we have a uh, supply system that is unfortunately not dependable, and we have a shortage of, of testing uh, supplies at this time. We are working at the health department. We are working with other incredible city departments. We are working with key partners such as UCSF to ensure um, that we expand our supply, but some of these circumstances are simply uh, beyond our local or regional, and from my understanding, state control. Next question is from Lily Tan, NBC Bay Area. Now that there has been an outbreak at MSC South, do you wish you had a, do you wish you would have moved more of the homeless into hotels sooner or done things differently? So from day one, um, I've talked about the need to focus on vulnerable populations, people with chronic conditions, people over 60. Um, as in the general population, the homeless population, uh, those must be our focus because those are the people who are most likely to die from COVID-19. And in, co in collaboration, um, uh, with HSA and HSH, we have um, moved many, many of these people uh, into hotel rooms where they can be monitored, tested if they do have symptoms, and we will continue aggressive contact investigations uh, in the population experiencing homelessness as well. Follow-up question. Can you tell us whether the city has accepted UCSF's offer to test residents in homeless shelters? So I think there was, so the UCSF has been an incredible partner um, during this, this uh, our response to the pandemic. And we have been, uh, I have been on uh, uh, daily calls with leaders at, at UCSF, ensuring that uh, we are responding to the best data information that our institutions have. And as you know, there are world leaders at UCSF, uh, many of whom I talk to on a regular basis to better understand how we can improve our response at the local level. As part of that response, that collective response, uh, UCSF has uh, been very uh, generous in, in providing additional PPE um, and additional uh, uh, testing uh, capacity. I think there's some, uh, some there is some confusion with regard to testing capacity, which is basically offering uh, uh, capacity in the machines that run the test. Unfortunately, that's not the same thing as getting swabs that you need to collect specimens. And both UCSF and the health department continue to struggle with the shortage of those swabs. So it is true that UCSF has generously uh, through the Chan Zuckerberg uh, Institute and, and others, Biohub, excuse me, and others have been very generous in offering uh, uh, ways for us to, to scale up uh, our, our testing through, through what it takes to, to run the test in the machines. It's different from having, being able to get the swabs to actually uh, collect the test. So right now that's our rate limiting step across the city and really across the region. Okay, this is your last question, Dr. Colfax. Uh, this is from Adrian Florido, NPR. How many of the positive cases from MSC South have been underlying conditions or older than 60? 
So I don't have that exact information to share, but I can tell you that uh, most of the residents who tested positive are in, in good condition, uh, but we are monitoring them very carefully for any um, symptoms that would require additional care. And then a follow-up to that is how many have been hospitalized and what is their condition? So um, as of uh, Friday, we had um, one person um, in that group who was hospitalized and we are um, getting additional information on the status of the remaining people. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. Thank you. Next questions are for Director Abigail Stewart-Kahn, Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Okay, the first question is from Sarah Ruiz Grossman, Huffington Post. How many homeless people total in the city have been moved to hotel rooms? Thank you, Sarah. As I said in my earlier remarks, uh, as of yesterday, it was 750, and we know we are moving people actively today. I think it's important to note that people experiencing homelessness are coming to hotels through many different means. Some are coming from hospitals, um, some are coming from shelters, um, and they're going into different, different levels of hotel rooms in terms of the needs of their care. What is the city's current criteria and plan to move homeless into hotels and by when? That's a great question. So um, as Dr. Colfax and Director Rohr have shared, we are prioritizing vulnerable individuals because of their risk of mortality. It is not that other people may not contract COVID or that we're not concerned about that. We're deeply concerned about it. At this stage in the epidemic, we need to, according to the Department of Public Health, work towards preventing mortality among the most vulnerable. And so we are working towards the most vulnerable people who are sheltered. We should have completed most of that uh, by the end of the day today for those who are accepting our offer of hoteling. And then we will be moving to the most vulnerable unsheltered in the coming days. Next question is from Jamie Haar, Associated Press. How are you making sure that hotels housing vulnerable people remain COVID free? Thanks, Janie. Uh, that's a great question because it is very difficult to do. So I think what we all need to understand, what I'm learning from colleagues of the Department of Public Health is that during an epidemic, it's not possible to guarantee that any, any location any of us go to is COVID free. This is the impetus behind the shelter in place except for essential actions. And so every location that you or I go to might have somebody that we come into contact with who's asymptomatic but COVID positive. And so while we are taking all steps, we are screening people before they leave from shelters, um, we are taking temperatures, we are screening upon arrival, we cannot guarantee that. Okay, next question is from Adrian Floridio, NPR. You described the challenges that behavioral and substance abuse issues pose to putting homeless people into hotels preventively unless they are in, vulnerable, in, in the vulnerable subset you defined. Are you actively working toward preventative hotel rooms for the non-vulnerable people, or is that not in the plans? Adrian, that's a great, a great question and one that has been carefully considered um, by leaders in the city. I think what's important to note is while we're talking about the behavioral and substance use complexity of uh, inviting individuals from shelters and the street into hotel rooms, people who have these kinds of complexities in their lives also often have medical vulnerabilities. So we're not prioritizing people with behavioral or substance use needs. I think it's really important to slow down on that point. We're prioritizing pe people based on age of 60 and over, 
or uh, medical pre-existing conditions. The, the, the reality is, is that trauma compounds illness, illness compounds trauma, and all of these things can have an effect on behavioral and substance use issues. So the individuals who are coming into our hotels have very complicated lives. Okay, next question, or actually this is your last question, from Noah Arroyo from San Francisco Public Press. Considering that UCSF and the city of San Francisco have said they lack adequate resources to test all occupants and staff in all homeless shelters, whom will you prioritize for COVID-19 testing and why? Thank you, Noah. Questions about priority, prioritization for testing are best, served, uh, best directed to the Department of Public Health. But as you heard from Dr. Colfax, the focus is around contacts investigation. So when we have a positive case, uh, the Department of Public Health, speaking for them since Dr. Colfax just explained this, they do a deep contacts investigation. So for example, at Division Circle, we had a positive case. That individual was already at an isolation and quarantine site. Immediately, contacts investigation had begun, and we learned who that individual talked to, worked with, what case managers they worked with, who they slept near at Division Circle. Those individuals were considered exposed and recommended for testing. And so it goes from there. The difference at MSC South is that once you started to have more positives, it became important to look at a different testing strategy. Okay, and then the follow-up question, how many people currently at Moscone West have had contact with those who have tested positive at MSC South? Thank you for the opportunity to clarify the status at Moscone West. Currently, there are no individuals at Moscone West. It is certainly not open for people to come into, and it is not being used for shelter thinning. Shelter thinning or equilibrium is being moved into hotel rooms at various levels of care. Moscone West is in the process of being developed for, um, I think we, what we might term medical step down or people who are post COVID and still require shelter, but are safer to be in a congregate setting due to their medical status. Thank you, director. Uh, those, are your, those are your questions. Thank you. The next questions are for director Trent Rohr, Human Services Agency. Human Services Agency. Okay. Uh, First question from Josh Sabatini, San Francisco Examiner. Of the 15 who died, could you tell us how many were homeless, how many were in nursing homes, and if so, how many city employees and how many died in hospitals? That question, I think, is most appropriately directed to the Director of Public Health. Okay, so why don't we just go ahead and go to um, John King, San Francisco Chronicle. Mayor Breed stated, it is not easy to provide adequate staffing for hotel locations. What is the city's plan to ensure that there are enough site monitors and caseworkers to provide decent care? Thanks, John. So uh, through, um, similar to the Human Services Agency, we have a department operations center here at the EOC. Uh, the Depart city's Department of Human Resources also has an operations center located here. Uh, they are charged with, with um, activating what's called the city's disaster service worker deployment. And what happens is they receive from the human services agency's operations the number of staff that we need, including job descriptions and qualifications that we're looking for, and recruit from the disaster service worker program, which is basically any city employee. Uh, the onboarding process is uh, some can be lengthy. Um, each of them have to be trained. Each of them have to be uh, uh, provided with the uh, personal protective equipment deployed to particular hotels where they have to be then retrained by the particular site managers. So we have a system of flow in place. 
um, working again with our, our partners at Human Resources to ensure that we have the uh, individuals to be the monitors or caseworkers. In addition, with our nonprofit partners, um, many of whom have employees who actually provide this work, uh, conduct this work in permanent supportive housing sites or homeless shelters, we are appealing to them as well to provide support. Uh, as Director Stuart Khan has mentioned before, these agencies are quite stretched dealing with their own um, programs and services under this pandemic, but we're appealing to them as well. Okay, final question. It sounds as, um, does the city still aim for 7,000 hotel rooms or are hotel operators having second thoughts? So our, our goal is uh, not dependent on, on the hotel owners and what they have to offer. Our goal, our numerical goal is informed by the need. The need of the, among the 19,000 SRO residents who may need to be quarantined, the uh, shelter residents who need to be moved out, as well as the general homeless population and others who can't self-quarantine. Um, I walked through the populations we're targeting earlier uh, and among that, those populations, we feel that 7,000 rooms is what we need to provide the appropriate um, quarantine and isolation for those uh, individuals. Okay, thank you. That is our final question. This concludes our press conference. This has been a special edition of Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. To bring you full audio of the latest city press conference about San Francisco's response to the coronavirus pandemic. You can also find this audio and a brief text summary online at sfpublicpress.org. This was an update officials gave on Monday, April 13th. Because we're running full audio of the announcement with only pauses and silences edited out, we've had to interrupt our normal programming. We'll return you now to PRX Remix, storytelling from public radio. This is KSFP LP 102.5 FM, San Francisco.